Welcome to the first session of The Righteous Man. So let me just set this up for you. We're going to meet uh, in two weeks for session two. So next week is First Wednesday. We'll come back on uh, February 12th for session two. And then on the last night, February 19th for the last session, we'll have some food for you. So just make sure you come hungry and you will leave well fed. Okay, I want to start with a confession. And I thought I was thinking and praying today and being that this is the Righteous Man series and we're going to be talking about living righteously and being men who live honestly, I, I thought it would only be fitting if I started with a confession. And this is a little embarrassing and, and quite honestly, uh, I feel a little bit uh, dirty even saying this. But I just want to be real with you guys. Is that okay? I want to be real with you. I feel... Some shame, I feel dirty saying this, but I'm going to say it uh, to model honesty. And so here's my confession. I've been a lifelong Broncos fan, and I'm going to cheer for the Chiefs on Sunday. <laughs> and I, feel, I just feel dirty about that. And I'm feeling all kinds of shame about that because I, from the time I could walk, I was orange and blue, baby. And, and Sunday, I'm going to be cheering for the Chiefs, my goodness. Who's with me on that? Who, who in here? <laughs> so you guys are Bronco fans, but you're going to admit you're pulling for Kansas City? Okay, let's just tomahawk chop it right now. Come on, do it with me. Whoa. Okay, too far, too far. Oh, okay. I knew there was a line and I just stepped right over it. All right. It'd be great to see Andy Reid get one, huh? Hey, as I've been praying about this series, I uh, really sense strongly that God highlighted a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, that he wanted us to start with as a foundation to build off of. And so I want to I take a look at this passage in Isaiah 61. We're going to read the first three verses. Verses 1 through three, uh, 3. And the name of this message is called The Running Father. And I'll explain that in just a little bit. But let's start here with Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And now here's the result. So the first couple verses explaining what the Spirit of God does. Now look at the result of this. Verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love this. I think this paints such a captivating picture. Because this is who God is, and this is what God does, and this is what God will always do. He loves to get his hands into the soil of our lives. He loves to take his holy hands and work them deeper and deeper into the soil of our lives. 
to bind up the broken places, to break the chains, to bring joy. And as we allow the Spirit of God to work deeper and deeper in us, the result is is that somehow and in some way we become oaks of righteousness. And isn't that very different than the path that many men take? And it's, in order for me to grow in righteousness, I have to try harder. I've got to roll up my sleeves. I've got to crack this code. I've just, I keep struggling with this. And the problem is I'm not trying hard enough. And so what I want to say to you men right off the bat at the start of the series is that it's not about trying harder. The Pharisees tried that, and they were the recipients of some of Jesus' harshest words. It's not about trying harder. It's about opening up more and more of ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the more we open up our lives, the messy places the places of our lives that we're tempted to want to hide, those places we feel shame about. Yes, those places. When we open up those places and we allow the Spirit of God to do what He does, again, over time, we become what God calls an oak of righteousness. So here's a question I want to put before you at the the beginning of this series. I think a key question for us is how much of my life will I open up to the deeper work of the Holy Spirit? How much of your life will you open up to the deeper work of the Holy Spirit? Now this is what I know about men. We can be really slow to open ourselves up for help. Can I get an amen? I know that because I'm a man and I know how long it's taken me during different seasons of my life to open myself up more deeply to the work of the Spirit and to other people. And I also know that because one of my greatest privileges in life is walking alongside men on their journey and and walking alongside men as they're untangling some of those knots in their soul and as they're untangling unhooking from some unhealthy attachments. I have just seen it so many times that we as men can be really slow to open ourselves up to help of any kind. In fact, oftentimes when a man comes in my office, they'll say, Gabe, you have no idea how long it took me to get here. And I'll say, no, I do know because I'm a man. And the guy before you said that and the guy before him said that and it just goes on for a long line. One guy uh, was sitting with me and, and we were just processing some areas of his life where he was struggling. And he said something really honestly. He said, you know, I know I've got these places in me that, that need God. And he said, and I can tell God is knocking on those doors. He wants in. He said, but I'm not about to open those doors until I can clean those rooms up a little bit. And so I just, I just sat there in silence waiting for this to dawn on him. That the only one who really can clean up those areas is the one that's knocking at the door. 
And that's, that is the temptation for all of us as men. We've got these places. We've got these broken places because we're all human. But the temptation is, is to say, okay, I'm going to keep Jesus at the door. And I'm going to keep working harder to get these areas of my life in order. And then I'll present myself to God. As if he doesn't already see us. So this, this is what I know about men. We're slow to open ourselves up. But this is what I know about God. And I'll never be convinced otherwise. Is that God responds to our brokenness with compassion and grace. It's who he is. It's absolutely who he is. Now, does God come to us with strength? Does God discipline us because he loves us? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times God has come to me with such strength and he had my attention. Yes, sir. But it's always been from a place of absolute kindness and grace. Never shame, never condemnation. When he's corrected me in, in those, some of those moments where I really needed strong correction, it's from a place of absolute love. It's still the delight of the father towards the son. I was speaking at a men's retreat last year for another church, and I was speaking uh, on this topic, this, this topic that God comes to our broken places with kindness and grace. And so after the message, one guy after the next came up and said, hey, thank you so much. I needed that. That was like a, a, a cup of cold water for my soul. And so one guy after the next came up and, and said, thank you. But at the end of the night, one of the leaders who was organizing the retreat came up. And he said, you know what? That was, that was okay. He said, let me tell you, next time you speak to these men, you just kick them square in the... You get it. I'll, I'll spare you what he really said. And I was like, oh, what? He goes, yeah, these, that's what you need to do. These guys came away for the weekend, and you know what will really motivate them is if you kick them right in the... And I just said, that's not the God I know. That's not the God we see in the scriptures. I mean, really? A, a group of men come away for an entire weekend to draw near to God and he's the type of father that responds by kicking them. In. What? But this is, some of what, this is some of what men pick up on. And so what happens is that a man begins to kind of expect that if we open ourselves up, we're going we're gonna to be met with this anger from God. That he's going to be angry or he's going to be disappointed when in reality, yes, he's strong. But my goodness, is he kind. He's so kind because he delights in his sons on our good days and on our awful days. And I want to look at this story of the prodigal son because I think this reminds us of the nature of our father. It reminds us of this incredible goodness that is in the heart of God. And so let's look at this together from Luke chapter 15, 
Many of you know the story. A father had two sons. One of them uh, asked for his share of the inheritance and he went off to a faraway land and began to waste the money. In fact, the Bible says that he had a riotous good time, which that's not to be confused with a righteous good time. He had a riotous good time and he wasted all of the money and he eventually came to his senses, which is where we'll pick this up at verse 17. Uh, When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Now there's a lot that could be said about the son and his choices, but I love the courage in this man. After he royally blew it, he has the courage to make that long walk back to his father, knowing that he's going to have to present himself and face the father. That is courage. And Kenneth Bailey, I like what Kenneth Bailey uh, says. He, Kenneth Bailey uh, is an interesting author. He spent over 40 years studying Middle Eastern culture. And he he brings some interesting context to this moment, this moment when the son came to his senses and realized, I got to go home. And so so Kenneth Bailey described uh, what was customary during that time frame, and it was called the Kazaza ceremony. And this is what he wrote. Uh, He wrote, first century Jewish custom dictated that if a Jewish boy lost the family inheritance among the Gentiles and he dared to return home, the community would break a large pot in front of him and cry out, so-and-so is cut off from his people. And this ceremony was called the kazaza, which literally meant the cutting off. And after it was performed, the community would have nothing to do with the wayward person. So that's some of the context. When the son decides to go home, he knows that the kazaza ceremony is waiting for him. These these people in his community who are embarrassed, who are ticked, who are circling like sharks, ready to pounce on him. And yet somehow he has the courage to present himself as he is to the father. Now here's the catch. With the Kazaza ceremony, if the father gets to the son before the community, the son is welcomed back. Welcomed back to the family and welcomed back to the community. So there's a little bit of tension here. So no wonder the father is looking for the son. And that's exactly what we see in the next verse. This is verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Oh my goodness, you talk about a bear hug of all bear hugs. You know when I really want to hug my kids strong? Like I'll, I'll bend down to my six-year-old Owen and look into his green eyes. And when I really want him to feel his father's love, I don't just kind of hug him. You know what I do? You know, because you do it too, right? You pick him up, right? I pick up my son and I just hold him against my chest and his little legs just dangle. And he can't stop it. 
and he starts to get a little squirmy and I'll just hold him tight. And I can only imagine in this moment, this father picks his son up and he makes his legs dangle a little bit. Welcome home, son. Welcome home. N.T. Wright comments on this passage and he, he says, you know, this, this story could actually be called the prodigal of the running father because the main character in this story is the father and the nature of the father. And it was quite something for the father to be seen running because distinguished men during this time frame, over the age of 25, a a respectable man would not be caught dead running. That was considered embarrassing. That was considered shameful for a grown man to hike up his tunic, to expose his naked legs, and to be seen running. And yet this is what we see with the father. He doesn't care. In fact, I think this is beautiful. The father takes the shame of the son onto himself so that the son could be welcomed back. And the more I think about that, that's exactly what we see at the cross, isn't it? Jesus spread naked on this cross, shameful, broken, taking our humiliation upon himself so that we could be welcomed home. It's just the nature of our God, taking our shame upon himself so that we could be called sons. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What a lively scene. I mean, as I read through the scripture, sometimes there are these moments. It's like, oh, I would have loved to have like, seen that. What the scripture is describing, what would it have been like to have, to have been there, to look into the, the eyes of this father, to see the radiant, beaming joy, to see his, his eyes fill with tears because he's so joyful. Oh, my goodness. What, what would that have been like? And I think the only thing that was louder than the music and the dancing and the celebration, the only thing louder was the message that was being proclaimed. And that message is that sonship is not determined by behavior. It's just not. A son is a son. You're a son. Because of Jesus and the blood of Christ, you and I have been adopted, and we're sons. And when you royally, royally screw it up, you're a son. Sonship is not dictated by our behavior or by our performance. You know, I think one picture of this, this 
this picture of the running father, this father who's quick to run to us when we're broken and, and swallow us up in his love and in his delight. I think a modern picture of this uh, happened at the, the 1992 Olympics. And I want to show this video to you. Some of you may have seen it. But Derek Redmond uh, had been training for a long time for the opportunity to win Olympic gold. And so in the semifinals of the 400-meter uh, race, uh, he, he pulls his hamstring. And what happened next will uh, go on for Olympic history. All right, let's, let's take a look at this together. Based on your laugh, your favorite part was my favorite part. <laughs> and the thing I love about this is that the father is pretty fierce, isn't he? I mean, you have these officials, these rule keepers, these men in oversized green jackets <laughs> with oversized expectations that they actually could keep that father away from his hurting son. And the father's like, get out of here. And I just wonder, you know, in this story about the prodigal father, again, you have these people circling the father with, with, with the, the, the pot ready for the ceremony, reminding the father, look what he did, reminding him, get out of here. And I think this is a picture, too, 
for some of us in our brokenness, when the enemy starts to circle and the father looks at him and says, get out of here. This is my son. Something else I love about this video is that Derek uh, eventually embraces his father. At first, he's struggling, and, and the father comes alongside him, but he just keeps going, doesn't he? He recognizes him, but he just keeps going in his own strength. And then there's that moment when he collapses into his arms. And I think that's a picture of what we often do, too. When our father, with pure goodness in his heart, his heart overflowing with compassion towards you, comes alongside and we can just keep going. I got this. I got this. I got this. Assuming that God is ashamed of us. And we all have to come to this moment where we just fall into him. Embrace him. Let him do what he wants to do as our father, which is to love us in those very places where we're broken and struggling. Sure, we all have areas where it feels like we're winning the race, right? We're running strong and things are going great. And then there are other areas, if we're honest, that we're limping along. And again, in those areas, we often feel embarrassed. We feel shame. It's like, I can't. God is disappointed. And he's like, no, this is the part of your life where I want to swallow you up. But will we have the courage and will we trust him enough to allow him, God, to love us in those very places where we're limping along? So I want to close with this. Some of you might be wondering, okay, I, I understand that if I want to grow in righteousness, if I want to be an oak of righteousness, I know the key is not to just work harder. Yes, we have a part to play, and we're going to talk about that later in the series. But it's not just to work harder, but it's to open ourselves up more and more to the Spirit. What might that even look like? How do I even start moving in that direction? And we open ourselves up to the work of the Spirit by naming our brokenness and our sin. By having the courage to be honest. The psalmist wrote, search me, God, and know me. Reveal any offensive way in me. But there is that posture of just opening himself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. Search me, reveal any offensive way in me. And we know that it's not because God doesn't know. God's not stumbling around in the basement of our lives with a flashlight, scared of what he might find. He already knows it. But we let him search us because we need to face it. There are things that we need to face that we're prone to ignore, that we're prone to deny, that we're prone to like look the other way and just kind of hope it goes away. And when we have the courage to truly open ourselves up more and more to the Holy Spirit and allow him to search us, allow him to speak things to us, Again, he meets us with kindness. He meets us with compassion. He doesn't meet us with condemnation. But we have to be willing to face those areas and name them and say, yes, this is an issue.
And we have to be willing to confess that to him. And when we confess those broken places with honesty and detail and particularity, not just generally speaking, yes, I'm a sinner, help me God. Sprinkle a little bit of your stuff on me and make it go, go away. No, but when we say God, and then we begin to name our brokenness with detail and particularity, and we find ourselves saying the things to God that are hard to say, that, my friends, is opening the door to him. And again, how does he respond? With kindness and grace and compassion. So I want to give you something really simple to, to think about. And this is something that you can put into practice in your life. But I encourage every man to write out verse 20 and read it every morning as a reminder of the nature of our God. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. We need to be reminded as men, especially for the men who have a really, really hard time believing that this is who God is based on your experiences with your earthly father. There's much that could be said about that. But for the sake of time, what I'll just say is that no matter what your experience was with your earthly father, you have a heavenly father who's crazy about you and he is really, really set on revealing himself to you. And so every day, man, if we come back to the truth of verse 20, that, that, the power of that truth will begin to work its way deeper and deeper and deeper. And in your most shameful moments, when you feel like it happened again, I did it again, I looked again, I did it again, whatever that might be, go back to verse 20. Don't run from it. Don't deny it. Go back to verse 20. Read it. Receive it. And confess again to him. There's no end to his mercy and grace. And every time you do that, you're opening the door again for him to work. And that is faith, my friends. That's faith. So I want to invite you just to close your eyes here. This is totally between you and God. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand or do anything like that. This is just absolutely a moment between you and your father who smiles at you and knows you whose son's blood has purchased your forgiveness and your redemption. And what I heard during worship tonight, I want to share this with you, just as you sit there with your eyes closed and focused on God. I heard him say, I'm not mad at you. And I wonder if you would be willing to receive that tonight. Receive the truth that the Father is speaking to you as his son. He's not mad at you. And perhaps you might respond, well, yeah, but what? And he wants to interrupt you and say, I'm not mad at you. 
Let me come close. Let me love these places in you that you feel like are broken. Would you be willing to take just a few moments just between you and God and name some of them? He knows. He's not mad at you. Just name. Name some of your struggles to him. Be honest. while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to you, his son, threw his arms around you, kissed you. He loves you. Father, thank you so much that this is who you are. You are a God who is good to the very core and you never condemn and you never shame so come to our broken places the places we want to hide come and do what only you can do put your hands in the soil of our hearts bind up these broken places in us set us free set the captive places free in us bring the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And God, may we come back tomorrow and do the very same thing. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And may you look at us one day and say, there's my son, a man willing to open his life up to me, a man willing to receive my love and my grace. He's an oak of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. May it be, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. And all the men said, amen, amen.